In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Raising godly kids, it's not your wife's only responsibility to raise godly kids. It is the father's responsibility as well. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we We salute salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos and I'm here with... Our producer, co-host, and good friend, my brother from another mother, Dale Culver. How you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful. Hey, I'm really excited about today. Our guest, uh, he's got a couple books he's given away, and we're going to be putting them on our website. And so if these guys can go to our website, check it out. They have a chance to win one of his books. But this guy's uh, got 800,000 followers on Facebook. That's pretty cool. And he's a senior pastor, and he runs a national men's ministry. He's got a lot of stuff going on, and I really enjoyed his book. It's like uh, somebody's punching you a little bit below the belt and kind of waking you up. So he's one of those guys. And so uh, the Huevos Rancheros. So super excited to have him on today. But before we do, do you have a man word? I do. And do I just do it, or are you going to guess here? I'm going to go with... uh, That's wrong. Is man up in the book? Man up. I mean, man up is sometimes puts them together. Yeah, so yeah. is it man up? His is one word. Is it for man, man up? up? But I didn't do that. No. Yeah, I think I have PTSD with you ridiculing me, so I just change it all up. Yeah, because so. you get so vanilla, you're so easy to guess. It's like, come on, yeah. dude. Soon we'll we'll get our counseling. But I chose the word transformation. Oh, I would have never guessed. No, that I was <laughs> transformation. I pulled it off his bio. Well, when a man oh. when a man mans up, a transformation happens. And I think if more men would be willing to go through a transformation instead of just doing the same old thing they've been doing, uh, which most of the time uh, it's broken and it's not doing the, what it's their life isn't going where they're supposed to go. So um, allowing others to come into your life, speak into it, and allow that transformation to happen. You know, it's funny. I, I thought, well, I, I want to go to St. Louis and go to his church and just sit in there and watch the eyes of the dudes in the church because this guy must hammer these guys. And so I bet that would be a real fun church to be a part of. I really want to check that out. And we've got several guys out there that we collaborate with that are in the St. Louis area, so we could do that. But hey, before we do that, man, let me, uh, let's me let bring on our guest for today, my new friend Jody Burkine. He's 51 years old. He's in his duck dick butt this year for you football fans. Uh, been married to his beautiful wife, Nan, for 30 years. Lives in St. Louis, as I shared. Jody is the lead pastor for Ignite Church. He's the author, he's an author, speaker, and lover of the Word of God. In 2010, he founded Man Up God's Way, which is a national men's ministry that's challenging men to step up for the kingdom of God. On their group for men only, they have 25,000 guys involved in this group. Man Up Ministry was birthed out of Jody's desire to change the way Christian men do Christianity. Through Man Up God's Way, Jody's hope is to challenge men to live a separated life. Jody, it's great to have you on the, sh- the show, man. Man, it's good to be here, Jim. I appreciate it. Looking no. forward to it. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on, man. I've, I've seen you from afar. I think I actually follow uh, the the men on- men's only group as well. 
and okay. uh, snag okay. some of your, the ideas off of your group for our group because we do something very, very similar. So, hey, before we get into the interview, man, uh, I know your book. Um, in fact, I don't have the copy of the book with me right now. I read it, and then our secretary has it. But in your book, you talk about your story. So why don't you share your story with our listeners? Sure will. Well, I, I teach men to have a two-minute, a 10-minute, and a 45-minute version of their testimony because what I found after becoming a Christian in 2003 is that most men do not do not know the Word of God. And so um, as you read Matthew 28, 19, uh, it says, Go therefore into all nations and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to make disciples, and part of that process is sharing your testimony. So um, I've learned my testimony over the years, and the cool thing about being a Christian is it grows um, the older you get, so you have more and more stuff to share. But mine started really way back at 12 years old, and um, my parents were divorced, and so my mom, who drugged me to church every Sunday, Wednesday night, and Sunday night, um, I always say I was a drug addict by the time I was 13 years old because my mom drugged me to church every Sunday. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I hated church and I didn't like it because I felt like it was very pharisaical, very hypocritical, which, you know, come to find out that most of life is very hypocritical. That's a bad excuse not to go to church. Uh, family's hypocritical, work's hypocritical. So um, that was my excuse. So I went to live with my dad, became you know, over the years, uh, I went from going to church every Sunday to doing whatever I wanted, basically. And um, by the time I was 18 years old, I talked myself out of God, became an atheist, uh, became an alcoholic, became a drug addict, became a money lover. And um, about 21 years old, I was trying to go to college. Uh, matter of fact, my first semester in college, I made a point four one. I flunked freshman orientation. All you had to do was show up to it. <laughs> I didn't even, didn't even make it. So, uh, But I didn't miss a party. But um, I, I found uh, this beautiful woman who ends up becoming my wife, and I realized that I needed to do something a little bit different to keep her. So I joined the military, um, hadn't been a war in 25 years, in 1990, uh, April 1990, I go to boot camp. July 31st, I get out of boot camp, and uh, August 2nd or 3rd, I think Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. So that's how I spent my first year married. Um, was uh, was in war, but um, went through that. My wife and I got out of the military. Um, I found my God, which was money. I learned how to make money. By the time I was 30 years old, uh, my wife and I were very wealthy, and um, things just seemed like they were going perfect. And still an atheist, still doing drugs, still drinking. But you know, I I would always call myself a social drinker and a social drug addict. But um, it was one of those that um, I could tell that it was the older I got, the worse that it got. Well, 33 years old, uh, excuse me, right around 31 years old, I realized that we couldn't have kids and it was mm. really my fault. And so, uh, man, we we talked about it, talked about it. And and what I know that was God's movement now, uh, we just happened to fall in in line to, to adopt a child. And it's our beautiful 19 year old girl. Uh, we were in the birthing room with her. Um 18 months later, after we adopted her, we get a call from uh, the birth mom of my daughter uh, asking us if we wanted a son. And so within two years, we had two kids that were, you know, from birth that we've had the whole time. And uh, I just remember one night looking in my children's eyes, holding them both, you know, because my wife couldn't breastfeed. So I got the privilege of uh, taking care of my kids at night as well. And I just remember looking in their eyes thinking, there's no way my children came out of a cesspool of algae. Because as an atheist, I thought, you know, the Big Bang and, you know, everything comes out of this goo and starts crawling on the ground. And next thing you know, they're a monkey and then they become a, a human. So uh, that that put me on this, the, the search for there's got to be something. They were created, is my point. And so 2003, my wife shows me um, uh, email or a, a letter that she got, and we ended up going to church. One thing led to another. I gave my life to the Lord May 22nd, 2003, and he wrecked my world from then on. Within four months, uh, I'd completely lost everything financially that I'd built up. And um, I remember praying to God, just saying, you know, literally, because my thought is he got a good deal when he got me, so he's going to double everything I got. <laughs> and uh, that didn't happen. So uh, I just remember talking to him and saying, like, 
really? Six months ago, I just gave my life to you and you're going to take everything away from mm. me. That, that was a point where he said, um, it, you know, in my heart, in my spirit, I just felt that he's like, everything that I'm going to give you from here on out will be far greater than the, the stuff that the enemy gave you. Because the enemy can give you good gifts. I mean, he tried to offer Jesus the world. Yeah. And, uh, everything. So, I mean, he has that power to be able to do that. And so it was one of those moments in my life where I realized that I needed to uh, step up in a way that that uh, was transformational, was regenerative. Uh, and that's where I started really learning to get into the word of God. And so that's really the process that got me to salvation, number one. And then, man, just learning to read. Um, I'd never read a book until I got saved at 33 years old. I grew up with cliff notes uh, back in the day. You know, we didn't have Google or I couldn't imagine having Google in high school or college. But um, straight you know, eyes, baby. With, you know, man, I'm <laughs> telling you, I plagiarized and I would take. Oh, uh, yeah, and, you know it. Yeah. But um, I never read a book until I gave my life to the Lord. And the, the power of the Holy Spirit just gave me this hunger for the word. First year, I went through the whole Bible. Um, second year, I went through it probably two times. Like, so I've been a Christian for 18, what is it now? 17 years now. And I've probably been through it 19, 20 times. Awesome. Uh, and that, that doesn't include just my studies for sermons. That's yeah. just my daily, de- that's just my daily devotion. Yep. So I fell in love with the word of God. And uh, what really started with man up was, you know, I got into church and I'm thinking, holy cow, what I'm reading and what I see in the church is nothing like what what I'm reading. Like, okay, what's going on here? Like, I just saw these guys just sitting, doing nothing, having not much of a life and not much of a fruitful life or a faithful life. And so that's really when God started working on my heart about 2008, 2009 uh, to start pouring into the men uh, not in my church at the time. And, um, you know, that's just kind of how that started. So you ended up launching a church and you pastor a church you started, right? Yes. Uh, so 2003, I gave my life to the Lord at a little church, um, here in, in, in our town in Eureka, Missouri, it's just the outskirts of St. Louis in 2015, I, I felt led, uh, to start a church. And, um, we had, we I'd gone to another church in 2010 to, to associate pastor a church. It was about 15 miles away. It was kind of out of my community. So I came back to my community. We launched a church in 2015 and uh, we started with 30 people and uh, we're about 150, 160 right now. So uh, God's, it's a very transient community, about 12,000 people. And, um, but uh, God's just doing a great thing, man. It's, it's been really fun. Well, what people don't realize when you, when you talk to people about the church growth movement or mega church movement, those churches are strategically planted in high populated areas. So when you get into a small community and you plant right. a church, it's not going to be this 10,000, but it could be even a higher percentage of the community. Does that make, you know exactly. what I'm saying? And so, so when yeah, I hear a hundred, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't take too much stock in some of the mega church numbers just because I realize it's a percentage of a population. And right. so there's a well, great, you're also talking about, yeah, you're talking about one or two percent of the total church population that are mega churches. Yeah, like everything everything else in between is from fifty to to four hundred. Like that, that's pretty much the brand. Like ninety five percent of all the churches are within that realm. So. Well, and that's our target. Our target audience is that. And what we've found is, and I'm not. I think the mega churches, you know, has its own place, but they tend to not focus on men. More women right. and children, where the smaller yep. churches tend to focus more on men. But hey, I want to, I want to appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, it's really encouraging to have a guy who's doing a parachurch ministry, who's leading a church of his own. But before I, I ask you about Man Up God's Way and your ministry, I want to throw you into our rapid fire round. Awesome. Are, okay. You think you can handle this, Love. man? I, I can, hand, I have I can a, handle it. I have a feeling you will. So I'm just going to ask you handle. words that I think resonated with you, or I found them in your book, words and phrases, and I'm just going to ask you to explain the why behind them or or what they mean to you, all right? Okay. First one, I'm going to start with it. I'm going to put the ball on the tee. Very easy one here. Man <laughs> up. Well, man up came from my military background. I had a drill sergeant that always say, you know, step up or man up and grab your levels and and uh, speed up. Like there was always this behind him, you know, pushing me and motivating me. So when um, 
it came to mind that we were that I was supposed to start a men's ministry. I didn't want anything to do with my name because it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God. Mm -hmm. And so um, as you read the Bible, you realize that are, there are a whole lot of men and women who actually had to step up in the word of God to, to, to fulfill God's plan and will in their life. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it was, was like, okay, man up, man up what? Well, man up God's way. That's what uh, that really just rang with me. It's like, it's not Jody's way. It's not God's way. So God's way, number one, is Jesus Christ crucified. So you have to, by faith, believe that. And then the Holy Spirit's going to take over from there and make it a whole lot easier for you. As long as you apply the the, the truths, the commands, the all of the stuff that is in the Bible in your life and make it applicable, applicable to what you're doing at that point in time in your life. Yeah, I love that because man up. Man up as a standalone, man up the world's way is completely different than manning up God's way. It's a total right. paradigm shift. So the fact that you include that in your ministry name is deeply significant. So I really do appreciate that. Well, and that's the problem with the church is that we're trying to we're trying to teach men to be men, but we're using the worldly model. We're not using a biblical model. Like Man up doesn't mean that I can chew through steel or bend iron like it. It means that I will humble myself enough to uh, lay my face down and pray to an almighty God in the in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Like that's what we need to be doing. That's a that's a man, uh, in my opinion. Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, you know, Jesus named his top three guys, the rock and the sons of thunder, right? So so he was the ultimate man. But what did he tell them to do? It's a it's a tremendous paradigm. If you want to live, you got to die. If you want to, if you want to, if you want to be rich, you got to be poor. If you want to lead, you got to serve. I mean, all of these things that are completely opposite of what the world says. And it's, uh, when guys get this, everyone wins, but the thing they've got to get is, is who Jesus is and the manhood of Jesus Christ. And the man that is portrayed in scripture is not the guy that we see portrayed in the church. And that, that's no, that's what that's what inspired yeah. you to launch Man Up God's Way. So I appreciate that. Which leads me totally. to my next phrase. And honestly, I've read I read fifty books a year. I've got a library behind me of thousands of books. I've never heard this phrase in all of my time and all of my reading. So I'm going to give this one to Jody Burkeen. So whenever okay, I think of you, you, Jody, I'm going to think that. of this phrase. And so <laughs> spiritual sissy. Okay. So um, what's the first thing that you think of when somebody calls you a sissy? Pansy, wimp. Okay, pansy, wimp. Okay, so if somebody calls me a sissy, one of two things are going to happen. I'm either going to pound them in the ground or depending on the the situation and the size of the person that calls me that, I'm going to cower down and walk away. And when I got into the church and I gave my life to the Lord, I came from a a background of going into bars and fighting. Uh, I came from a background of military. I came from, you know, never back down from a fight kind of mentality. Uh, nobody would ever call me a sissy and not walk away with at least a bruise of sorts. You know, I might get beat up, but I'm definitely not going to cower down and walk away. When I started reading the Bible, I thought, number one, Jody would never be used in the Bible. I'm not, I'm not that kind of man. Like mm. I could never be a Peter. I couldn't be a Paul. I couldn't be an Abraham. I couldn't be a Moses. Like, because I would cower down and walk away in some of those circumstances. So my, my thought when I looked at the men in the church, number one, the church that I was going to at the time had about 25% men and 75% women and children. So I'm thinking, okay, where, where are the men? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know anything about church from 12 years old until 33. So I didn't know what that, that really was. And I remember one day thinking I could whoop every one of these guys in church. Like that just came to mind. There's one, a really quick thought, like I could stomp every one of these, but you know, the Holy Spirit was saying that you don't need to stomp them. You need to love on them. So what does that look like? And that whole term spiritual sissy came out of that because a lot of guys claim to be Christians. A lot of guys claim to be godly fathers. A lot of guys claim to be godly husbands, but I was not seeing any fruit of that. So when God's calling us to be separated from the world, I saw men cowering down and walk away. And that's where I came up with the term spiritual sissies. Oh, that's really good, man. I really appreciate that. And and I think that there it's a there's a you, you talked about running away from a bigger guy. When I think of sissy, I think of a disengagement. 
There's a, right. you know, we call our guys the men in the arena, right? So in the church, right. the guys who are in the arena are serving, they're loving, they're that. You talked in your book about the Pareto principle, right? 20% of the people right. do 80% of the work. And wh- those 20% are what we call our men in the arena. They're the guys you call the guys who have manned up God's way. And the rest right. in the bleachers, we call them anonymous. They're the anonymous fans. Right. They make no difference in the game. But you call them, you call them spiritual sissies. So we're using similar different terms to describe similar things. So I really do appreciate that. So when I think of sissy, I think of a, a quote you had on page 21 of your book. We laughed about it before the interview. Uh, I love I, I love it that you put it in there. But you, you use the phrase, have a pair. Right. So talk us exactly. through that phrase. Why, why, that, why that phrase? Well, I, I, as you're growing up and becoming a teenager, for some reason, your testicles become a part of your manhood. Like, you know, it's like either um, it could be sexual in nature as you're growing up because you have no clue what's going on. It could be, um, you know, that's what we associate with men. And so when I look into the church and I've, I've always used this term because, um, you know, along with spiritual sissy means that you're not using the pair that God gave you. And so uh, I always tell men to go to their wife, ask her for your testicles out of her purse. And so you can use them to man up God's way. And so you have to have a pair in order to man up God's way, because when I think I always hear men going, man, you know, we want to be like David, you know, oh, we want to be David. We want to walk up and kill Goliath and all this. kind. You know what? Ninety nine percent of the guys are like the other Israelites sitting back there shaking in their shoes. Very few men in the world today are a David. Uh, we're, We're scared to death. We're afraid to offend. We're afraid to 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 love and cherish our wives and wash her with the water of the word and, and be godly fathers and then serve in the church and not be the chameleon at work. Um, you know, that's, that's the scary part about Christian men. And so uh, in order to, in order to really man of God's well, you got to have a pair, you got to have, you know, both physically and spiritually. And uh, yeah. it's, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, we had, <clears throat> we had David Murrow on our podcast a couple years ago and in 08, he wrote a book called uh, Why Men Hate Going to Church. I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with that work. Yeah, oh yeah. I know David. <clears throat> so in our interview with David, he said something I'll never forget. I've forgotten a lot of that interview, but this is I'll never forget. He said, in Islam, the more religious you become, the more of a man you're perceived to be. In Christianity, the more religious you become, the less of a man you are seen to be. My question, Jody, is why is that? Jesus is the ultimate man. He's the alpha and the omega. He, he's the ultimate alpha male. He named his three buddies the Sons of Thunder and the Rock. He died a gruesome death on a cross. He honest, he models manhood to the nth degree, right? Why why has that not translated to the church? Well, I, I think one thing is that um, the church has done a really bad job in, one number one, teaching men. Um, number two is that we have this hippie Jesus vision of what Jesus is like, Oh, love, peace and happiness. Jesus. Like, I mean, this dude, like he literally stood in the middle of a temple and took three cords, wound them together, made a whip and beat everybody out of the, the, the temple. Like that's the kind of Jesus that I want to have and, and follow because I know he's done everything that we've done. You know, he's, he's gone through the same things and it's been a struggle. You know, he just, that's what I think the problem in the church today is that we've got this really skewed view of who Jesus is. And it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's a bad picture. Um, and for men to, they look at meekness as weakness, you know, and we're called to be meek. We're called to be humble. That doesn't mean that we're not strong, that we're not capable, that we're not, you know, and all you got to do is take five minutes and look in society. You know, you look at TV shows, they demean fathers, they demean husbands. And it's, you know, to have a a man that actually is the spiritual lead in their home is chauvinist, you know. So we're scared to death to step up in any way. And and what's crazy about um, the church is the more religious you get, you get more contempt and um, ridicule from the church than you ever would the world. Like, and that, but here's, here's the issue is that the world is looking for, 
number one, consistency. Okay, if you're going to talk a talk, they want to see you walk the walk, especially yeah. in Christianity. Uh, if you say you love somebody, man, you better show that you love somebody. If you say that you're going to help somebody, you better help somebody. If you say that you don't believe in certain things, you better not be doing certain things in the world. And I think that's probably one of the biggest issues that we have. You know, the church, when you start becoming holy and righteous in the church, the church even starts ridiculing you. Oh, well, yeah, you shouldn't do that. That's that's too legalistic or that's too, you know, that's, that's crazy is what that is. Well, you said in your book on page six, you said, quote, but in my justification, this is before you were a Christian, in my justification right. of my hatred of religion and the hypocrisy behind it, I was just being a coward, too scared to search for myself in the real meaning of Christianity. Deep down inside, you said you were a sissy, but, but part of that sissiness was inspired by the fact that you saw hypocrisy in the church. In fact, you say on page 61, uh, on a bed of grass, the chameleon skin turns green, on the earth it turns brown. The adaptation is perfectly suited for an animal that is trying to lie low and never be seen. And then you said, in my mind, this is ha- this has become the symbol of the Christian man in and out of the church. At church, a, a Christian man tries to blend into a pew, thinking that if no one sees him, he won't have anything he won't have to do anything or say anything, and that's what you're talking about, that there's this right. chameleon, there's this I don't want to be seen, there's this weakness uh, that's been modeled uh, poorly and, and really not addressed in the church, and so uh, I really appreciate uh, what you wrote there in the book. So, hey, tell us so, about—oh, I have one more thing, and we're going to—this will be our boots on the ground at the end of this uh, podcast. Tell us about okay. this—in your book, uh, you spend about 110 pages— it's a really great and easy book to read. But then the last part of your book, I think there's like 40 or 50 pages, deals with this thing called the 30-day challenge to man up God's way. Can you tell us about that? So the book is really broken up into seven areas uh, that a Christian man needs to stop being a spiritual sissy. So number one, uh, we always try to find out um, if a man truly knows Jesus Christ, because if he's not regenerated or transformed, he doesn't know Jesus Christ. Um just a fact. I mean, that's what yeah. the Bible says. Uh, it's pretty evident. And uh, you can you can see it in their life. You, they have the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, all fruits of the Holy Spirit. So we make sure that they know Jesus Christ. And the very first part of the 30-day challenge is, do you know Jesus? Um, uh, you have to have a relationship, a daily relationship with him. So we push men to be motivated into reading their Bible daily. The second area is my relationship with Jesus Christ will mimic my relationship with my spouse um, because we are called to be one flesh. And I think what most men have, most family, men who have families have done is they've taken um, the relationship with Jesus. They bypass their marriage and become really good fathers and really crappy husbands. Yeah, yeah. And then, then 18, 20 years later, when your kids are out of the house, you're looking across the table with somebody you don't even know. And we're called in Genesis uh, and all through the Bible to be one flesh. So that one flesh is always, that was God's first ordination in mm-hmm. the Bible. Like marriage was ordained in the, the very first uh, few chapters of Genesis. So we teach them to be good husbands before they ever try to be good fathers. Because as a unified couple who are both seeking Jesus, we become really good parents. Like really good parents, good godly parents. The third area is parenting raising godly kids. It's not your wife's only responsibility to raise godly kids. It is the father's responsibility as well to pour into them, to, to, to show them obedience, to teach them respect, uh, biblically speaking. The fourth area is church. We have too many men in the church right now leading that do not have their household in order. Mm. The, Bible call, the Bible calls us to have our household in order. As a matter of fact, before any man steps up into leadership into my church, to the church that God gave me, not my church specifically, Jesus' church that he He let me let me run, um, to let me shepherd, if you will. I interview their wives before I ever interview the guy. I want to find out from their wives if they're a godly husband, if they're a godly father, if they're reading their Bible, if they have a transformation, if they are, are step, because most guys will always say, oh, I can lead a small group. I can lead a this, I can be an elder, I can be a pastor, and you come to find out that they can't even run their household. All the other stuff, you know, when you look at Titus and Timothy, the qualifications for elder, that's my qualifications for even stepping up into leadership of the church. 
So number the fourth area is church, and uh, we've just got too many men leading the church that shouldn't be leading the church. Oh, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we don't have enough servants. So you're trying to teach men to be servants in the church before they're ever leaders. But if they can learn to be a servant in their home and with their kids, they can definitely be, be a servant at there. And then work. And that's kind of the chameleon area. We raise holy hands on Sunday and then raise holy hell on Monday. Um, that's typically what the world sees as a Christian. Yeah. So we teach we teach them how to be that man, the Christian man at church. And then the sixth area is accountability. Um, what we're finding through all of our conferences, I do anywhere from 20 to 25 conferences a year. And, you know, guys don't have accountability. And then the last area, which is really the bookend, Jesus Christ crucified, knowing, having a personal relationship with him. And then the very last one is discipleship, teaching them how to make disciples. So that's really the 30 day challenge is how you how you go through those those processes and learning to become the man that God has called you to be. Yeah, I really appreciate that, man. Thank you so much for that. So so tell us about so tell us about I know I know the seven principles are throughout the book. So when it comes to your ministry component, the man up God's way ministry, I know you've got a, a massive following on your public page and you've got a huge following on your small group for guys. What are your other what what's your method or your model that you're using to get these guys to man up in these seven areas? So it's really about discipleship. What we're finding is that um, in 2014 was my biggest year speaking. And uh, the next year, my wife got cancer. So it's been kind of a, yeah, she had, she got cancer in 2000. Literally, this was totally, it was, it was from God is what it was. Two months before we launched our church, we found out that she had cancer. We were in such a volatile stage at this point in time that uh, we took an old church that was dying, blew it up, revamped it, doctrine, eldership, uh, everything, name, brand, colors, like we blew it up. And it was at such a volatile stage that it could have just gone to hell in a handbasket real quick because people did not like the change that was going on. My wife got cancer. Uh, the church came alongside of us and changed the whole whole model of the church. Like it was just amazing. Like it was like God said, okay, we're going to take their mind off of that. Your wife will be healed, uh, everything, but we're going to go through about a 12 month process. It's going to be pure hell. But anyway, prior to that in 2014, um, I spoke to probably 5,000 men that year, really big year, big conferences. And so what I did during that year is I did a poll. I asked how many men were um, a Paul in their lives. They had a, a Barnabas and Ananias on one side of their life, and they had a Timothy or a Titus on the other side of their life. Uh, so we should all be a Paul, discipling and being discipled. I kid you not, out of the 5,000 men that I spoke to that year, only 189 guys raised their hand. That I'm talking pastors, elders, everything, big churches, little churches, non-denomination, assembly of God, everything from A to Z. And only 189 guys raise their hands. So from that point on, I've really started focus on teaching discipleship. And the, the easiest way to teach discipleship is to take what my daily devotion is and teach it to another man. You don't have to have a book. You know, I always tell guys, if you got my book and it's causing you not to read the Bible, throw it in the fire. Like, yep. yeah, my, my, mine is really just like you said, the punch in the gut uh, or punch below the midsection to get them motivated yeah. to get back to the Bible, because my book is nothing uh, without the Bible. Uh, it's it's an easy read. It is a punch in the gut. That's the way that I want to be talked to. That's And so that's the way I feel that men needed to be talked to. So that's the way that I talk. Um, uh, you know, just don't sugarcoat it. Let's get straight to the nuts and bolts of it and let's get it fixed. So discipleship is really key. And so as we're, you know, like Facebook is kind of an odd duck uh, to begin with. So what we've, we're kind of scaling it. So we've got 860,000 followers on our main page. Uh, we're going down to the group, which has 25,000. And then we're kind of scaling it in the next phase down to even to the real people who want to really be discipled. And I'm actually going to take a personal interest into teaching them how to disciple and make disciples. So it's got it's a it's a continual process. You know, there's no expiration date on yeah. number one, the word. Uh, until Jesus comes back, and which we don't know when, 
and uh, to make disciples. So I'll be making disciples till I can't talk uh, or, you know, stand up to the rest of my life. So that's really the focus that we have. And then in conferences, it's, it's learning to teach um, those who come, uh, you know, to go back to their churches and start that same process in their own churches. Well, I appreciate that, man. So, hey, we're going to take a break here from our sponsor. We're going to come right back at you. Men in the Arena is a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's, active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org. Hey, so Jody, so get back to the book. Uh, you have a comparison on pages three and then 110. On page three, you start off the book with, it's a choice to be a sissy or not to be a sissy, to man up or to shut up. Love that. It's a choice to be different from the world. It's a choice to be an intentional Christian. Some of the biggest spiritual sissies are in the church today. Agreed. We've already talked about that. On page right. 110, however, you said this, God did not create us to be spiritual sissies. We are to be men. In his image, godly, spiritual men who are willing to lay down their lives for our personal relationships with Christ, our marriages, our kids, our church, our work, and our betterment of our fellow man. God is not a sissy, nor should any man he made in his image be a sissy. Now is the time to put up or shut up. What's the disconnect? What what do you see as the disconnect? I I think that... um... You know, number one, I don't think that pastors and elders uh, within the church are as bold as they should be, uh, because what happens with number one boldness no, and, and speaking the word is that now you're held accountable and, and um, you're being judged that way. So if you can't handle the bullets coming at you, then you're definitely not going to shoot the bullets back. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And I, I think that's the disconnect within the church today is that. um you know, we've got too many people just not not talking. They're not, you know, you ask most people, most Christians to share the gospel. They have no clue how to share the gospel. I think I think if you even went further and asked elders and deacons, um, we, we don't use the deacon model. But if you ask elders and pastors um, to share the gospel, I think most of them would stumble over their tongue just trying to share it. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. I, I think I think that's the disconnect. So my whole put up or shut up is. Number one, stop telling people in the world that you're a Christian because you're giving me a bad name. You know, you're if that's the gauge of Christianity, nobody wants that. And that's that whole I always use Revelation 316 has a couple of um, you can go down a couple of different roads. Yeah. You know, it could be the cold water, the hot water, the you know, uh, or spiritually speaking, it could be the cold. We all, you know, I always tend to say that, you know, that's spiritual, like lukewarm. The reason that Jesus hates lukewarm people is because those who are cold can't see those who are hot. You know, there there's a, such a vast divide. But so they're going to look at their neighbor who, you know, the only difference between them is that they go to church on Sunday, mm-hmm. like in their eyes. That's all they see. But if they could see somebody who was devout and um, man, they love Jesus and they serve Jesus and they talk Jesus and they live Jesus, they would see that and come to know Jesus Christ. So I think that's such a major divide there. So that, that put up or shut up is like, man, if you're going to claim to be a Christian, either act like it or shut up and get out of the church so the rest of us can do what we're supposed to do. Yeah, because it, it hurts the body. It hurts the body. It so, does. So, so in your, you, you, you lay out those seven areas that you want a man to man up in, and they're in your table of contents. What is the biggest sissy area that you see men stuck in? In other words— what what is the biggest man up area? If you could ask men to really man up in this area, what would it be? Know the word of God. I, I think that's if you don't start at the very first one, none of the er, so one, if you don't know Jesus Christ, everything that you do from there on is works. That will not get you to heaven. You could be a really good husband, you could be a really good father, you could be a really good deacon, elder, or pastor at your church and still not know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus and think like you're still going to go to hell. You can do all of those things, you know, even make disciples and still not. I mean, we're seeing that happen right now. Um, and I think you're going to see the, the, the great apostasy happen 
start happening. You know, all these guys, we just saw the Christian uh, band. Um, oh, what's that goob's name? Who just said he wasn't a Christian anymore. So, hey, Jody, on page 19 of your book, you said something I really resonated with. In the church today, there are men sitting in pews and chairs who are as useless as the furniture they are sitting on. Most of them have no clue that they need what they need to do for God's kingdom. Some couldn't care less. Still, others are too prideful to step out beyond what they already know and are stuck in their so-called comfort zone. So in that quote, you listed three types of guys, and I'm just calling them the clueless, the I could care less, and the stuck in my comfort zone. So three guys. This guy's clueless. This guy could care less. This guy's stuck in his comfort zone. So you're a lead pastor of a church. You've got a great uh, national ministry. How do you deal with each of those types? Is, do you have a way of dealing or speaking to each of those guys? So, so yes, um, I do. Uh, typically, what I do is uh, the guys that, well, number one, um, I don't allow the guys to come in and waste my time. I take the guys that are serious, number one, for discipleship. So yeah. I teach them personally discipleship. Those that are sitting on the fence, um, my encouragement, chastising, Whatever you want to look at it goes toward them until I can get them one on one, cup of coffee, uh, whatever, and then uh, spend some time with them. And then those that are stuck in there, what I, and I would call it religious comfort zone, um, because they've heard the word, they've given their life to the Lord, and they think they got the free ticket to to salvation. And um, those are usually the hardest to push because. They don't want to step out and they don't want to take care of the homeless. They don't want to take care of the, the, the bum that knocked on the door. Like we're on a we're on a major interstate and we're on an outer road of that interstate interstate. So anytime my car is parked there, I literally have people pull off the interstate wanting gas money. Um, you know, just something. There's always some kind of fiasco that it goes. But most guys won't take care of that or give them gas or mm-hmm. anything like that. So. I do spend a lot of time just um, working with the guys who want to be worked with, encouraging them, motivating them, and then really chastising the other guys because um, what I see in their lives is not what I see in the Word of God. And so I try to show them those kind of things. And not everybody's going to get it. Not everybody's going to be motivated. I mean, I've got guys that have been going to my church for five years, hadn't changed a lick, and probably won't. Um, And I just I, I have to move on. It's almost like... You know, when Jesus was talking to the disciples and he sent them out two by two and uh, they go through the towns and he's like, when you get there, just dust your feet off. You know, if they don't open the doors. And so that's kind of what I do with a lot of these guys. I dust their feet off. And to be honest, I pray that Satan gets a hold of them. Like, you know, just like Jesus, you know, uh, he's like, I wouldn't go let Satan have you, Peter, or I'd let Satan have you. Um, I think that's a lot of times I just, you know, I try to get them to a place to where they can finally, you know, once you hit rock bottom. Yeah. Uh, spiritually, mentally, physically, financially, relationally, whatever that problem is in your life, that's really the only time that you're going to look up and finally see a helping hand, whether it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, your pastor, your your mentor, uh, and even your wife or kids uh, a lot of times. So we have to let them sometimes hit rock bottom. Yeah, that's 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 true. And I mean, I don't chase people. I just right. absolutely refuse to chase uh, because that just set that's like being a helicopter mom or a bulldozer dad. It doesn't help anything. So, hey, on uh, page 53, you've been saying this throughout the podcast. So, I just want to go back to this quote on page 53. You tell guys, be, which I 100% agree with, begin to have a prayer time with your children. There's nothing sweeter than prayer with your child. Christian dad, you need to encourage your way to pray. You also tell Christian men to pray with their wives to read the Bible every day. These are all things I've done all of my, my journey. Uh, it's a it's a huge part of, of our, our family, and it was when my kids were in the home. But guys typically don't go from A to Z. So let's say right. this guy does get it. He's willing to walk with you through the process. What are some of the baby steps? Because if you tell a guy, it's like going to go to the gym every day of the week, they're not going to do it. They're going to burn out. Right. What do you do to move guys along the process where he will go from a zero-day-a-week prayer with his children to a seven day a week is there how do you encourage him along the way and not discourage him right so my process usually begins with matthew mark luke and john um once i get a hold of a guy i want them to know jesus and the best four books in the bible to get to know jesus are matthew mark luke and john yeah for sure Uh, once you get to know jesus here's the cool thing then you can find him in acts you can find him in romans you can find him in 
the Pauline epistles. You can find him all the way to the book of Revelations. And what's even cooler is then you can go all the way to the first book of Genesis and see him there. Once you know who Jesus is, you can start seeing then you then the Old Testament starts making sense. Yeah. You know, when 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 God created everything, he looked at it, he said, hey, we are pleased. He wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and himself. And so once you can start seeing Jesus. So there they can start seeing Jesus. And then uh, that process kind of has to go in with your spouse. You know, just most guys, believe it or not, have never prayed with their spouse. Oh, not even over dinner. Like, I see. I find. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So learning just to, to be open and honest with their spouse saying, look, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know how this is going to sound. Um, I don't want you. I remember the very first time I was praying with my wife. It's in your book. Yeah, it's, it's in the it, book. It, I, it's, I, this is how much of an impact it made to me. We're at a marriage conference. If you ever want to ruin your marriage, go to a marriage conference. Um, biggest fight I'd ever been in was at this marriage conference with her. And so this idiot guy up at the stage, he's like, hey, I want everybody to turn their chairs around. And I want you to pray with your wife. And so I'm literally praying with her for the very first time. And I'm assistant pastor of this church. Um, you know, Jody had come out of atheism and I was getting a lot of pats on the back. I wasn't living the life that I should have been at home like I was at church. I was the spiritual sister that I keep talking about in the church. Yep. Yep. I wanted people, I wanted people to think I was holy and righteous, and but I wasn't doing anything at home. And so I remember praying and I had her hands and we're, we were face to face and I'm praying and all of a sudden I feel like I, she laughs. <laughs> I'm like, Really? Because I'm. I mean, it's a good prayer too. Like I'm praying for all the couples at church and all of the, like I'm just praying for everybody. And I look up with one eye and she's not laughing. And I was like, holy cow! So I go back to praying and I look up again because I feel her pr- laughing and she wasn't laughing. And I was like, what is going on? And so about that time, I just kind of stopped and I paused in my prayer and the Holy Spirit said, she's laughing on the inside because you're not the man that you're supposed to be. You're sitting here talking about it. And I literally broke down and started crying, confessed, you know, my sins to her. And this is, this is the process that, or this was the time that I hit rock bottom. I look up, I see Jesus and Jesus starts doing a work in me. So I had to pull out of the ministry and become the man that God had called me to be. So from 2000 and Seven to two thousand and ten was my process of manning up God's way. Well, and that's and why I appreciate. So that, that, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and that that's the same thing with your kids. It literally is just a baby step of learning a discipline and a habit of getting into. It. Well, and that's what I love about your book is that you're you know you're hard on the guys, but you start with you. You hammer yourself. Right. You you right. Uh, share where you're at. You go through the your journey's very authentic. So a guy can read the book and not feel like you're beating up on him because they're like, "Wow, Jody is his own worst critic." So I appreciate that. You just now mentioned your kids, and I and this was a maybe this may be the greatest idea that came out of the book for me as far as a new concept. The Bible, prayer, those are all kind of things I, you know, they're I take them for granted, right? But right. let's talk about dating your children. On page 55, you said, one of my favorite times with my children is date night. Whether it's my daughter or my son, we set a time and go on a date. So let's talk about that, Jody. How does that function? What does that look like in your household? How regular is it? What does it typically look like? So I usually try to do it once or twice a month, and now I have four kids. Um, oh, what? I've, I, I do. I've got two adopted twins that are African-American boy, girl. We got them at uh, one year old. And they're nine now. And wow. so uh, I'm getting to do the process again because I've got a 19 and 18 year old. Uh, my son will be 18 next month. And my daughter is at uh, she is at Oral Roberts University. Um, she got a scholarship for music. She can sing. And my son is uh, he's going to be headed off to college next year. So what that process has been and what the process has restarted is I literally take my kids on a date like I would my wife. Yeah. Um, I take them to dinner. I pull the chair, like for my daughters, I got two daughters, two daughters and two sons. And so for both my daughters, I, what I'm teaching them and training them is to, to see how daddy treats them because I don't want any man to come in their life and treat them less. So if a guy doesn't open her car door, we're going to have problems uh, because I open my wife's car doors. I open my daughter's car doors. I take them to dinner. Uh, it could be just a, a, a Big Mac at McDonald's. Uh, it could be an ice cream cone that we just get away. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be a steak dinner. It's just time away. It could be an hour. It could be four hours. 
Um, we, we're a movie family, so we'll go check out a movie a lot of times. And the cool thing is just getting them away, uh, talking to them over dinner, uh, of how their day was, what they're doing, um, what's going on in their life. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a really cool concept just to get in the habit of. So like when I take my sons out, I teach them, okay, you need to open the door and we're going to stand there and we're going to wait for a couple people to walk through. So you open the door for them, whether it's at the mall or the restaurant or, or whatever. And, um, we might go do something that guys like to do, go shoot guns or, you know, just, just guy stuff. But, you know, it's those opportunities that, you know, as they become men, like now my 17 year old, we go up into the mountains, we go 14,000 feet up in the Colorado mountains. We spend four or five days in a tent, freezing our tails off. And, you know, we scratch ourselves and spit and pee out in the woods and, you know, just have a good time. We talk men stuff and those are great quality times. And so my, my wife does the same thing. She takes them out for dates too. And uh, it's just a great concept to have for, for kids. Because if you think about, you know, how busy men are and how busy our kids are, if you don't take those times, I mean, I, I'm looking now at a daughter who's 19 years old. She's home for the summer. Um, I've only got a couple more summers maybe with her uh, before she takes off and does it. Like it was just yesterday that I remember rocking in a chair with both of them, looking in their eyes, thinking these kids didn't come out of a cesspool of algae. They were created. Oh, for and, sure. Uh, it's crazy. So, yeah, well, you know, it's funny. My, my sons are now 22, 24 and 26. And so we're finding brand new ways to connect with adult children because we're finding those mid twenties are maybe even more critical because they are trying yeah. to find their place. So we just got out of a, our mancation. We took the boys to Eastern Oregon. We did a little sage rat hunting or shooting and went fishing and then sat around and ate and had s'mores and hung out and actually saw a mountain lion. It was awesome. And those are moments that the kids, they'll never, we almost got, we got dive bombed by a hawk, went a foot in front of our faces. Oh, cool. We'll never forget those moments. It's trying to connect right. with your kids. And you said, you said, but see, they're out of the home. So I've got right. to be more creative. But when they're in the home, you said something and I, I paraphrased it. And here's what I'm going to paraphrase. It's critical that we don't have to be extravagant with date night. We just have to be consistent. And your right. kids know twice a month. I'm so glad that you didn't say every week, every week because I knew it wouldn't be true because no. we never could do it every week. But twice a month, I go, yeah, I believe this now. It's consistent. Right. Your kids know, hey, Thursday nights, 5 o'clock, a couple times a month, we're going to get this thing going. i got to be with Dad. And I think that's so important for guys. So, And you said well, – yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say I've been blessed too uh, because uh, since 2001, I, I had my own company up until 2018 – uh, went full-time ministry in 2018, shut my company down. So, but it was out of my house. We homeschooled up until my wife got cancer. Um, and so I, and then now I work from home now because I'm a pastor, you know, so um, I'm, I've been blessed to be able to spend time with my family. Like, you know, we, we we're together 24 hours a day. So sometimes there's just, there might be just, I got to get away and my wife got, has got to get away or, you know, because we're together all the time. So we're really blessed in that way. Um, but most men, most most families aren't. And so it, it takes a concerted effort uh, in order to, to have those date nights. And it could be a walk down the street. It could be sitting out on the back porch. But here's the cool thing is now my kids are planning. My nine year old kids are planning our date nights. So uh, they 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 want to go on them and they wanted to. And, and my older kids did the same thing. Matter of fact, I had my my last date with my daughter uh, three weeks before she went off to college. So we went out, had dinner, went off to the movies. I gave her, you know, the best best advice I could to go off to college with and, um, you know, cried at the end of the night. So it was kind of. Oh, man. You know, so. Well, you made a comment about date night. And I'm going to quote you. You said you do it so they can see how daddy treats them. You know, we right. believe our our tagline over here with Men in the Arena is when a man gets it, everyone wins. And on page 100 of your book, I think you kind of getting towards the end of the book and you really summed it up right here. I mean, man up can be summed up right here, I thought. Discipleship in its purest form is teach the teaching of what you are. This process shows a new believer how to disciple how how to do discipleship not just 
hear discipleship. And that's what, if, if right. when a man gets it, when he mans up God's way, he's able to lead just by example. And discipleship is, and that's what Jesus did, right? Right, totally. You know, how yeah, about, exactly. So that's, any more insight on that? Well, I, I just, I think that's the problem with um, most pastors, elders, leaders in the church is that they're trying to teach um, and not show, you know, because it's easy to teach people what the word sounds like and looks like, but it's harder to teach them how it looks. Like, how do you live that out? How do you, how do you, like, my wife and I, years ago, we, we, we came to the conclusion that our arguments were we had to stop fighting each other and fight for each other. Mm. And um, so we teach that at church now. Like there's nothing in our lives that is so dramatic that, you know, we have to be at odds against each other. OK, if she doesn't like because I'm not picking up my clothes, then we need to have the, the book that we're writing uh, or I actually have most of it written is called Expectation Conversations. What's the expectation in the relationship? So now my expectation is to take my clothes and put them in the hamper. Okay. So my clothes have to be in the hamper. That's an expectation conversation. Um, and so couples don't know how to do that. How, you know, what's instead of just getting mad for a perceived expectation, well, she's mad at me. Why is she mad at me? And she's in her mind going, he ought to know to pick up his clothes, you know, instead of having just a, a normal conversation. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have that with your spouse. You have to have that with your kids. You have to have that with church members, like this expectation. And so um, discipleship is key because you're setting up expectations. When I start discipling a guy, my number one requirement is don't waste my time. If I give you homework, you better do it. If I ask you to read something, you better do it. The moment that you waste my time, I'm done and moving on. So here's the expectation. Yep. So when I say that I'm not meeting with you anymore, don't go, oh, and get all offended. I asked you to just keep one expectation. That's it. So you have to put those expectations out there because, as you said at the very beginning of this, I am a busy man. Uh, yeah. I have four kids. I have a wife. I have a life. Um, but I also am built, helping through the power of the Holy Spirit try to build the kingdom of God um, because that's what I've been called to do. Um and I need you to help me do that. So that's what that's my expectation for my church members. You know, if no, you don't like no. our church, you know, the, the the doors right out there. You're more than welcome to go out there. Don't come in here with your ideas and ideologies, because here's our vision statement. Here's our mission statement. Uh, here's our doctrine. Faith. You know, we're not going to veer from that. So if you've got some other thing that you want to do, you know, there's an empty building, four down, four houses down, just go and start your own church. Plenty of options around there. So, hey, Jody, thanks so much for taking the time today to hang out with us and uh, talk to our men in the arena. Uh, I have manupgodsway.org as your website. Is that true? Exactly. Yes, sir. And then they can pick up your uh, book and your newest book coming out there as well. Exactly. I've got four books published, um, Man Up God's, or Man Up Becoming a Godly Man in an Ungodly World, and A Pursuit of a Godly Life, which breaks down 2 Peter 1, 5, where he talks about the characteristics of a Christian. I took each one of those characteristics and wrote a chapter on it. So uh, faith, and you understand what faith is, and knowledge, and uh, moral excellence, and uh, all of those. So broke that down, and then uh, a marriage book called Marriage Advance, where we actually took questions from Facebook and wrote a chapter on each question. Like, I'm talking questions that most men probably wouldn't ask, like, can I watch porn with my wife? Um, <laughs> and so, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about those kind of things in our, in our book. And then um, I've got the marriage book coming out and a journal as well. So Awesome. Well, that's really cool. Really sure do appreciate that. Hey, guys. Hey, what's the next step, guys? What action item do we want to take because of what we heard today? Let's get our boots on the ground. And here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking head on over to manupgodsway.org. Pick up a copy of Jody's book, Man Up God's Way. What's the subtitle of that book, Jody? Man Up? It's Man Up, Becoming a Godly Man in an Ungodly World. So go to the back of that book and take the 30-day challenge. That will be a huge blessing. Better yet, get a bunch of guys in a group, and you guys do that together. Lock arms, and and I think you'll be better for it, guys. So uh, make sure you head on over there. So, Dale, what's up next, man? What's the next step? Yeah, for uh, you guys out there to be your best version, we realize you need to be in a daily discipleship in the Word. So we want to challenge you guys to go to our website, pick up your free 365 daily devotional, The Bathroom Book for Men. 
And you can also go to our the store part of our website and pick up a physical copy. Put that on the back of the toilet. Have it there. Have it someplace where you can pick it up and read one entry a day. I mean, it's simple. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And man up. Be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.